Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum, and we have an absolutely loaded schedule for you today. Um, so much to get into from, we were going to do a, a Seattle Kraken post uh, podcast, and then, you know, we pushed it down a couple days, and then all the trades started happening and, and stuff like that. So we have like almost 20 things we got to break down today. This is going to be a long episode, and I have a feeling the next one or two are going to be long too, because... Uh, Free agent frenzies on Wednesday, and there'll be lots to talk about after that as well. So, um, yeah, we'll see where everything goes, but um, we'll, we'll get into the content here. Uh, I, I guess, Chase, where, where do we want to start? Do we want to put the the stuff we don't really want to talk about to last, or do we want to start off the bat here? Try and get it over with. All right. I, I think that's probably the right thing. There's two things, really, but the one is uh, super serious. Well, they're both serious. Don't get me wrong, but the one is uh just very obvious very out there and very fucked to be honest i'm gonna say i'll, I'll put, maybe put a thing right at the beginning but this is not gonna this is gonna be a not safe for work podcast i can already already tell you that um so the nhl draft comes around on uh on friday night and uh, i don't think we actually talked about it last year but uh or last week sorry because it was just kind of um breaking down as it was happening. And I'm just trying to pull up his actual name. So I know how to pronounce it correctly. Um, but around the time of, I don't know, Chase, do you want to give the backstory here? Cause I, I don't definitely have every piece of it, but. Uh, For which part? Um, what happened last week with the prospect? Okay. So some of it's unofficial and I feel like it's unnecessary to speculate, but basically I'm trying to think of the right word. I know it's not illegal in Sweden what he did, which is why he avoided charges. But what he did was basically he committed a sex crime in Sweden. Yes. Yeah, so uh, it, it is technically illegal. I'm pretty like he could have faced up to two years in jail, but they yeah, decided so not to go forward with it. Yeah. And it's definitely what he did was a sex crime here. And yeah, I, and, I yeah, saw in Canada, it'd be illegal. Yeah. And I'm sure it's floating around on Twitter, but it's not worth uh, speculating what he actually did, but it was a sex crime against uh, a young woman. And he came out. So it leaked probably what, two weeks ago? Yeah. A week and a half ago, somewhere around there. Yeah. So he came out, made a statement, clearly a PR statement that just said, don't draft me. Basically. I'm sorry for my actions. I don't feel like I deserve to be drafted. And then of course the fucking Montreal Canadians pick him in the first round. Yeah, so the prospect's name is Logan Malyu, Mal, Malyo. I, I don't know how to even pronounce his last name. And to be honest, I don't give a fuck. Like, um, yeah. So, yeah, they, they go out and draft him 30th overall in the first round on Friday night. And, you know, he was a top, by all accounts, he was a top 10 talent or whatever in the draft. And I think it's confirmed at this point he was sharing unconsensual photos or acts or whatever. Um, and there's been, it's been well documented if you want to go find it, you know, how the the victim unfortunately has felt and the victim said she would be able to move on if he got, she got an actual just heartfelt apology and he hasn't even been willing to do that. Um, which again, shows you that his statement was probably more just PR than anything else. But, uh, the Canadians go on and draft them anyways. And, um, they, in their presser, they released a statement almost immediately and multiple times said that he made a mistake. And, uh, that's the big thing. He didn't make a mistake. A mistake is leaving toast in the toaster for too long. Um, a mistake yep. is, you know, like I don't, like a mistake is um, overcooking something, right? Like a mistake yep. is not a, a fucking <laughs> sex crime. Yeah, yeah, you 
you get peer pressured into smoking weed. Like that's a mistake that 18 year olds make. That's just like things that, you know, happen. Like I hate every time this shit happens, people always come out and talk as if all mistakes are equal and it's the cringest shit in the world. And I don't know if people like us just have less sympathy for 18 year olds who do this shit because we can vividly remember 18 and we know our mistakes were not even close to the same level. But like, it's, it's the most infuriating take in the world when people come out and say this shit. Yeah. Like how many times do you see in the comments too, where it's just like, Oh, you were perfect at 18. It's like, I sure as hell didn't do any of this. Like, it's like, of course no one was perfect, but like I didn't commit sex crimes. Yeah. It never like, even actually crossed my mind that me or any of my friends would even consider doing something like this. Never mind actually fucking do it. Yeah. No kidding. It's just like, it's, it's almost mind blowing how, like yeah just insane that it is that people are just like oh yeah no this is fine and um yeah. you know and, and this has brought up a long string of uh uh questions now in this montreal organization because obviously you know bergevin's tied to that chicago um story that we touched on last week and is still very very much ongoing with even more uh disgusting details coming out quite honestly about how teammates would chirp the guy about it too so that kind of ruins the whole teammate saying we had no idea about this um but yeah. Bergevin's already tied to that he reportedly wanted to uh sign Slava Voinov when Voinov was being banned from the, the league for domestic assault and um he had interest in Tony D'Angelo and I wouldn't even be shocked if in the next week or two it comes out that the Habs still have interest in Tony D'Angelo who was officially bought out by the New York Rangers uh, his contract was terminated by the New York Rangers the other day so um it's it's pretty clear that the organization and especially Bergevin don't really give a shit in general um uh, like it's just it's I feel so bad for anyone who's been a victim to this primarily like that's the big and especially the victim in this case but anyone who's been a victim like imagine being a fan and something like similar like this has happened to you and you want to be a fan of the NHL and you see teams that just clearly do not care at all what this guy did was wrong and we're like no he's good at hockey so we're gonna look over that like that must just feel the worst like how do you like I, I just feel horrible for that oh 100 I'm sure there are like hundreds of hats who have had at least comparable experiences that just feel disgusted and ashamed and sad at this. Like it, and like, it's almost hard to put it words. Right. Yeah. And like hockey's supposed to be an escape and like for their escape, like now they're just reminded of that again, because some rich white dudes didn't want to pass up the opportunity to help their organization, like on ice. Like, and the one thing I was thinking about is like, imagine you're Mark Bergevin. So you were a director of player personnel for a team where the coach had allegedly sexually assaulted some of the players. Huge allegation. Maybe maybe the most like important ongoing thing in hockey right now. The defense of this pick is just like, like there is no defense. You're a trash person if you're defending it. But the defense is it's a plus EV move to get a top whatever 10, 20 talent at 30. But if you're Mark Bergevin and you're trying to deny any knowledge of what happened in Chicago, how is this smart for you? Like, you have to just not give a fuck even the slightest bit to do this. Yeah, like, I just... I have no self-awareness, and I'm not sure which one's better or worse. 
it would never be good to do this, but especially now it's like, oh my God, you did this now out of all times. Like, but it just, it just yeah, goes like, to show that he knows he's he probably not going to get charged for anything from any of the past stuff. And, and again, like we don't want to speculate or whatever. Maybe he didn't have a role in the past stuff, but just like putting all the constants together, it's kind of hard to believe at times, but it's just like, like why, why give yourself the extra headache at all? And I mean, again, like that can be said at all, because why would you ever do like, that's the problem where, you know, we're almost having to cut hairs of like, ignore this incredibly brutal thing you're doing to begin with. Why would you do it on top of this? It's like, oh my God, we're stretching so far just to get here. Yeah. Like it's just every thought you can think about it just makes it worse. And it's horrible to begin with. Yeah. And I don't even know, like, I, I, let's wrap this up, but like, you know, apparently the, the prospect is in therapy or um, uh, that's, I don't even think therapy is the right word, but um, trying to learn better, which I guess that's good. But um, the, the more important thing here is how the victim's feeling and, you know, you know, her life and impact from this um, as it always is, you know, like, obviously you want the guy to get help and be realize why it's wrong and become a legitimately better person. It's just, hard to say that, you know, it's hard to expect that or even cheer for him becoming a better person. When you see that there was absolutely no punishment other than him falling about 15 draft spots from where he was supposed to be. Um, You know, obviously the better outcome is still that he actually does learn why it was wrong, but um, you know, uh, the, the focus should be more on, you know, how to help this from preventing this again. And um, fingers crossed, you know, we don't have to deal with this, but it happens more often, way more often than you want to, uh, you know, think, and not just among hockey players. Like this is a, a cultural problem too. And, you know, I, I think it has gotten better, but um, at the same time, you know, it's never enough to just say, well, that's good enough. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. And the saddest part is just like, you have to imagine if there was one hiking woman in the front office, this wouldn't happen. Like, it's not that difficult to prevent either. Or just, like, one person high-ranking who has their head on straight. Like, the solution is so simple. But it didn't Yeah, like, yeah, like, I I just, I don't know. Like, it sucks. It just, it, it sucks. There's really no other way to put it. Yeah. And, or just, like, the, the classic is, like, oh, imagine this happened to your daughter or whatever. It's, like, you probably shouldn't need to have, shouldn't need to imagine it happening to someone close to you. You should just understand that this is fucking awful. Mm-hmm. Yep. But 100%. Um, apparently not everybody does. So, yep. Uh, let's go to the other piece of news that is uh, uh, not great. Um, well, it, I don't know. It, again, it's, uh, we talked about it at the time that it happened and there's just so few details out, but Jake for being bought out by the Vancouver Canucks. He's got one more year at $2.5 million, but he did not finish the season because of sexual assault allegations, um, which he has denied in court. Um, I really haven't seen any update since June um, since that. I was just looking right now, uh, but I do kind of wonder if that had a role. Obviously, Vancouver was kind of done, it seemed like, with Fertanen in the first place. Uh, I would imagine that these charges probably killed any trade value he had, and the Canucks are now buying him out because of that. Uh, again, I don't really want to talk about his future. Um or, you know, is he a fit for other teams just yet? Because this is, with a story like this, uh, this is more important than anything on ice or any team-related thing he could do. So 
Um, I just figured it, it was probably noteworthy that they are buying out a 24 year old with one year left at not much of a cap hit. But uh, as we will get into later this episode, the Vancouver Canucks are very desperate for um, um, cap space. So uh, yeah, that's all I really have. I don't know if you have any more on that chase, but yeah. Uh, believe women. If the Canucks are making this move and buying out a 24 year old who had one year left, they must believe the woman. I would yeah. think. Or like, I don't know, the cynical part of me at least just believes that enough that they don't want the headache, which again, sounds horrible, but so until proven otherwise, fuck Jake Rutan, basically. Yeah. And I mean, regardless, like, unless like, I, I don't know, it, again, I, I feel like most people understand where we lie on these issues. Um, but yep. you know, like the, it's very rarely that the, the woman is actually lying. Um, so, yes, absolutely believe women. And if anyone's car- um, curious, it's a 50, this is, I guess it's because he's so young, $50,000 on the cap this year and 500K next year. 50,000 might be the lowest buyout fee I've ever seen on a cap hit, other than zero. Yeah, of course. Buyout RFAs, is that it? Yeah, I think so. It must, it must be. It's an age thing or something. I know it, it happened with one other player. They bought him out when he was like 23 or something. And it was like no penalty. So yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's get into the uh, more exciting stuff of the week. Um, obviously that stuff is very important. That's why we wanted to talk about it, but we figured it'd probably be better to get it out of the way uh, than ending on, you know, a, a note that obviously is hard to talk about. So um, geez, a lot happened this week. Hey, eh, Chase. Yes. Yeah, week was wild. Like we're recording on a Sunday. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm going to go back real quick and look at the last time we recorded. I think it was last weekend. Like it was not long. We updated Tuesday. So we were recorded last Monday. So we're recording Sunday. It's been six days since we last recorded. And this is more new. Like this could like is enough news to last us three or four episodes during a summer or regular season. Like that's how busy it's been. Yeah. Like three of these like big contracts or trades would be like a huge week during the season. There's one thing I'm almost debating putting off until it becomes official. And that's the Zach Hyman stuff because I, if you've seen me on Twitter and I know some of our listeners are going to disagree with me on, um, on my take on it, but I almost want to put it off just so we have something to talk about later, but it's going to be free agent frenzy next week as well. So that'll be crazy too. But uh, let's get in the Seattle expansion draft. The Seattle Kraken actually have a team. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's a good one, but <laughs> it's, it's uh, okay. So, We'll go through all the picks quickly, or, you know, maybe not all the picks, but we'll, we'll go through some of them um, and, you know, the, the overall what they did. And then we'll look at the two big deals they signed as well. Um, but before we go in individually, if you had to guess where this team fi- uh, finishes this year, what, what would your projection be? Just on, let's say they don't really make any big trades. They don't, they don't sell anyone massive off their roster. Um. It's so nice seeing the real divisions back on cap friendly. Just quick yeah. side note. Um, so Vegas one, that's absolute lock. Edmonton two, that feels disgusting, but that's probably the way I would bet it. God, Calgary three. Honestly, Seattle fourth into the division is the most likely outcome to me right now. I think they could be third even. I would personally go definitely Vegas one. I think probably Edmonton two. I would probably go one of Vancouver or LA even before Calgary. 
Like Calgary yeah, just but- lost Giordano and they weren't a great defensive team outside of like, I don't, I don't know, like losing Giordano feels bad to what Tanev's going to do this year. Right. Yeah, hundred percent. But if Markstrom mounts it back, that'll come rough. Yeah, that's also true. But also, like, I think there's a non-zero possibility they trade Goudreau at the deadline too. Like, yeah, you know, if they're dumping Goudreau, Seattle might be third best team in the division. I think, regardless, this is not a team that is going to like. It's not a team that's going to be dead last in the league by a mile. Like, I, I think their their decor is just too good. I think it's going to be good at moving the puck. I like what they did at goaltender where they took three guys who aren't proven at all, but they're all super cheap. So one of them yep. are feel like they're bound to at least be okay. Right. And like, if they're not, I would say that's bad luck more than anything else. And um, putting the puck in the net is really going to be the biggest question for, for this team, you know, like um, we'll, we'll get in the picks in a second here, but I, I do think that they're going to kind of play like first year Vegas where they don't have that big superstar, but they're going to play quick and they're going to be hard to play against. And that'll keep them in a lot of games. Yeah, they kind of give me like um I don't know. I'm looking at the roster. I don't know if I want to say this, but like senators vibes where like I don't think they're gonna be good, like true talent. I'm sure they'll be a below average team or whatever, but I could just see them being like a scrappy out every night, if that makes sense. Yeah, like last year's Ottawa Senators, but obviously instead of Batherson and Brady Kachuk making it exciting. It'll have to be like Jordan Everly, Yanni Gord, and Brendan Tan, or like Jared McCann. Yeah, exactly. Like the the nice part about the expansion draft is so the bad part is you don't get any stars. The good part is you should have a relatively deep team, which will make you a tough out on any given Wednesday night or whatever. Yeah. So um let's go through the picks first. Well, we'll start uh, um with the two UFAs that they actually signed, something Vegas did not do other than um oh who was the the defenseman who was from vegas that they signed not even very good uh i'm blanking on yeah i'm blanking on his name um doesn't matter though i'll look it up and but uh, they sent jamie alexiak and adam larson to contracts both a five-year deal for alexiak at 4.6 and a four-year deal at four for larson um both I thought more money than I was, especially Alexiak. I did not expect Alexiak to get uh, five years at 4.6. I thought that was, I don't know if aggressive is the right word, but a lot. Um, I don't think it really, I I think it's probably good value now, but um, you know, in four to five years, I don't know about that, but um, it was clear that they wanted to build around the blue lines to start. And that's what they did. I don't, I don't hate it, I guess. I don't know. Like what, what were your thoughts on the Alexiak one first? Then we'll get to the Adam Larson one. So I don't want to get too carried away because these are only two contracts, but given the analytics staff they signed, it looks like they basically really value like RAPM expected goals against suppression. Yeah. Like it kind of feels like this team is like in first year, they're going to try and win every game one, nothing. Yeah. Like that seems like the move, which I mean, if you believe defense is a market inefficiency. There's probably value there. I don't love either of these contracts, but through that lens, they make a lot of sense. Yeah, like I, I think the term is more what concerns me on either of these contracts. And you know, for like Larson, it's 32, Alexiak, it's 33. I don't think it's the end of the world by any means. It's just, and this is going to be a theme with this team. It's kind of underwhelming given that they literally had a blank slate to start everything. Derek Anglin was the player, by the way, that, uh, oh, yes. um, 
But like, it's just kind of underwhelming that like this was their big splashes or whatever for contracts going forward to like start their franchise, you know? Yeah, hundred percent. And with both of them, it's not like they have like they both had really good defensive results last year. But it's not like these guys are twenty-eight-year-old Chris Tanevs where they've had just awesome defensive results for like six years going now or something. Yeah, like exactly. Good. Yeah. Not. Like I don't, I don't know. know. Like That's coming into this offseason, I thought Adam Larson was like a four, maybe a three. Yeah, like I'm, as long as you have him with a good puck mover. Like if you have prime Jay Gardner as your three, like Adam Larson is probably the dream four then. But that's not a great sign when you have to talk about how great your partner has to be at something for you to be truly effective. Yeah. So let's go through some of the picks here. and I'll just run them down. I think the first five we don't really have to talk about. Four, first four, I guess. Hayden Fleury from Anaheim. Um, almost surprised they didn't protect him. I thought that was a fine pick. Tyler Pitlick from Arizona. Um, I don't think Arizona really had too many other people exposed. Jeremy Lawson from uh, the Bruins. Again, kind of same with Boston. Uh, Will Borgen from Buffalo, an RFA defenseman. Um, those four I don't really have much to say on. Um, and other than we'll get to the overwhelming point I think after about the lack of side deals and stuff like that but just from a pick perspective like they're all kind of whatever yeah that's fine there wasn't much value there to lose out on or maximize really yeah and like I I thought the flurry one was fine and I don't know I don't hate Jeremy Lawson either like he's not great but um, he's I don't know like there, there just wasn't really much else to pick I don't think either yeah, there wasn't much EV there, even if you maximized it. I'm not 100% sure if they did. I don't really have a match to take either way. Yeah. Um, next down, though, is Mark Giordano. So this will be the face of the franchise until they probably – I would assume they flip him at the deadline. He's 30, 37 years old. But um, I think this was probably, all things considered, from like a goals above replacement, probably the best player they got. Maybe Yanni Gord, but like, if not, definitely him. Yeah, it'll be – Maybe it'll be Drieger as well, but like those. Are yes, the- I guess I was I was thinking skaters more than anything, just because goalies can be so aggressive, right? Yeah, like if we're betting on who has the highest WAR for the Kraken at the end of next year, Giordano is at worst the second favorite. Yeah, maybe like third, would- like maybe an Eberle is ahead of him, but yeah, I like Gord a lot. Gord's probably one, but like given Giordano's age, you can bump him down to two or three. Something like that, but very good player. I'm surprised they didn't, because what I, I think Pierre Lebrun tweeted this, the side deal did not take Giordano was more than a first-round pick. I'd probably rather guarantee myself more than a first-round pick of a kind of middling team like Calgary than risk it at the deadline, but clearly they don't believe that's true. Yeah, like, and again, yeah, like the, the I don't know, like the, the prices seem so freaking aggressive from and again like this is once we get through the picks oh this is something i really want to touch on because i was underwhelmed overall by the draft but like i i really yeah for calgary it's tough because it's like i don't know i think calgary's gonna tear it down after this and i almost think they should like calgary feels like that team that at best they're kind of just like stuck in like the 10th best team in the league and at worst they're the 20th so like they should probably tear it down 
And you could probably get legitimate assets for Giordano at the deadline, but if you have to give up your own first and you're trying to tank this year, that those things don't go hand in hand, you know? Yeah, that's fair. Calgary, low-key, new Minnesota Wild, if they don't sell Gaudreau. <laughs> yeah, like, if they keep Gaudreau and keep Kachuk and everything like that, like, they're going to be a team that is just – makes the playoffs, maybe wins around once every four years, but then every other year they just miss the playoffs, you know? Yeah, or like, I think it was the Sens where it was just like they made the playoffs every other year and they came like 10th every other yep. year, basically. They, they look prime to do something like that. Yep, that was peak Ottawa 2010 when they decided they didn't need, or t- 2011, they the they snuck in and took the Rangers to seven games and they decided, no, nope, we're good good with rebuilding. We're actually going to go go for it now. Made the playoffs in... Or sorry, they made the playoffs in 2012. That's when they decided they were good. Made the playoffs in 2013 as that pesky sends and beat the Habs. Missed in 2014. Made it in 2015 on the hamburger hamburger run. Um, yeah. Lost to the Habs in round one. Missed in 2016. Obviously went to the conference finals in 2017. And then we know the story from there. I don't need to get back into it. But yeah, like that, that definitely feels like the same kind of idea where it's like, two of the times they needed an absolute miracle to get into the playoffs. And 2017, they were a fine team in a bad division with a struggling, I think Tampa struggled that year and missed the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken, um, by a point. Yeah. And um, yeah. And Ottawa took advantage of that one on a run, but like, yeah, that kind of feels like where Calgary's at right now. And I I would sell, but that's a, that's a time for sorry for a different podcast. Uh, Carolina Morgan geeky gets taken. Um, people were like freaking out about this pick. Now I would have taken Nino Niederreiter. Um, I think that would have been the obvious pick to me. Um, but like people are absolutely losing their mind that they didn't take Jake Bean. And I don't really get that one. Like he's been a good prospect forever and he's never really shown like all that much, you know, like, I, I don't, I don't think like Morgan Geeky over Jake Bean should be like this absolute insane hot take that people are claiming it as, but I don't know. Yeah, like Nino's the big lift here. Other, I'd say his worst year is better than Jake Bean's best year, but of course Nino was notoriously awful as a rookie. But like the worst case scenario outcome for Nino Niederreiter next year is probably like a 40-point player, which is still valuable at the deadline. And yeah, Morgan and that, Geeky, Sorry, go ahead. I, I just don't even know what Morgan Geeky is. Is he going to play on the AHL team? Yeah, like I think he'll be, probably be a bottom six four. Apparently he's got a really nice shot, so like – Maybe he can provide some scoring depth down there and they're like on the bottom six, which you'll probably need. But yeah, like, I don't know. People were freaking out about not taking Jake Bean. And I didn't really understand. Like even his results in 550 minutes last year were just, they weren't great. Like they were whatever, but I don't think Jake Bean is going to be more than a third pairing defenseman. Yeah. It's not like he's, and like maybe he is good, but he doesn't look like this slam dunk, like future stud. No. So, um, John Quenville, Jonas, Jonas Donskoy, uh, um, Dennis Cholowski from Detroit. Uh, and then the only pick get, that wasn't Lee. yeah, the only pick that wasn't Lee. What, what do you make about that? About the insiders? Uh, I was like sad because I thought it could have been a really cool event, but it's, I'm mad at the league, not at the, the insiders. Like the insiders are doing their job. The leagues are the idiots who wanted the list put at 10 AM instead of 7 PM when they were doing the show. Yeah. And like, I, I wasn't happy when I saw the picks leaking out, but I was the DJ who spent the day on Twitter. So you're kind of asking for it. Yep. So 
yeah, that's kind of my take as well, where it's like, it sucks, but at the same time, like they're doing their job and we're just refreshing Twitter, looking at everything they're posting anyways. So. Yeah, exactly. And I saw a lot of people were like, oh, you ruined this draft for everyone. And one of the things that strikes me more and more is how much people on Twitter overestimate how much the rest of the world spends time on Twitter. I'm sure there were still tens of thousands of people who had no fucking clue and enjoyed the draft plenty. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of my thoughts on it as well. Um, we don't need to go through all these picks, but let's let's go to the, the goaltenders. Chris Dreger, obviously, uh, Vitek Vanacek, and then from Ottawa, Joey Decord. Um, again, I, I touched on it earlier. I, I thought that was um, pretty smart overall. Like, I, I think that all three of those goalies have some potential, um, you know, varying limits of it, obviously. But I think the betting on the three of them, all cheap. Joey Decord can be in the minors. He doesn't need waivers this year. Um, I thought that was a pretty solid start. Um, people were freaking out about not drafting Kakinen, And again, that's another one I don't get because I feel like people did not look at his numbers over the last three months. He ended with, I believe a negative goal saved above average and a 906 save percentage. He had a really hot month and then was not good. Um, I don't understand why he was a slam dunk to be picked um, other than he's 24, I guess. And maybe that's what people were going nuts over, but I, like people were losing their minds over that as well. And I did not understand. Yeah, I probably would have picked Kakinen, but I don't think it's this huge loss in expected value that they did. He was not that good this year. No, he really wasn't. He was good in the AHL. He was 24, which is why I think he still would have been a good pick, but it's not like it's the end of the world. Goalies are weird as fuck, so. Yeah, so um... – Let's go through some other big names, I guess. Uh, Eberle um, was one that, you know, I could, the Islanders exposed him. That was maybe a bit of a surprise, but they're obviously desperate for cap space, and they ended up just taking him. Uh, obviously, Yanni Gord, uh, Tampa was in a bad position. Um, I thought Brandon Tanev was another interesting one. Obviously, four years left, but kind of I feel like he'll be a very marketable player in terms of he's going to be running around hitting people like crazy. Um, and then Cal Yarncroke up front. I thought that was a good pick for Nashville. I can't believe Nashville left him exposed considering they exposed two guys we had never heard of. Um, <laughs> so uh, I feel like that's a good pick. I think he'll help the team. And I think if they want to sell at the deadline, he'll be someone that they can flip for probably like a second or a third round pick pretty easily. Yeah, I think most of them made sense in there. The Tanner was weird specifically because you can tell based on the draft they value tax space above all else. So I don't know why you would take a Brandon Tandem contract if that's what you value most. Yeah, exactly. Um, but maybe they just figure we need to hit the cap floor for the next four years as well. So um, That's true. It's also tough, though. They clearly have something coming up in free agency because they're under the cap floor right now. Yeah, like they uh, they just barely made their limit. Like they got thirty million in space right now. So I, I mean, granted, they do have um, four RFAs they need to resign. Or well, I, yeah, they have four RFAs on their ma- major league team, and then a bunch in the a couple in the minors as well. So they might be able to just barely scrape the cap floor with that. But um, yeah, and then on the make real money though. Yeah, okay. yeah, if it's done, we'll be. And so that's why I want to get into. What do you think Vince Dunn? Vince Dunn over Tarasenko was a choice. Um, I don't think it's necessarily wrong. I would have been okay if they went either way with it. But, um, you know, I like. I think we both like Vince Dunn a lot. What do you think he's going to get as a restricted free agent who just hasn't been able to give him the chance in a top four role, really? I think now, you know, like, I think he's still on it. The at home, like, $6 million, like, 3.75 deal. I think now is the time you try to screw Vince Dunn into taking that contract. 
for that style of a contract. And if he works out, great. If he doesn't work out, I'm sure you can get rid of it. Yeah, I wouldn't be the worst bet. I mean, I like that bet more than Alexiak at 4.6 for five years. Yeah, 100%. I think if they sign Vince Ben long-term, other than Yanni Gordon, Jared McCann, it becomes the best contract on their team in terms of like expected values. Yeah, I, I don't think that's wrong. Um, was there any other pick, good or bad, that stood out to you? There's Jared McCann. Yeah, yeah, obviously. So we had on the Toronto side of things. Uh, McCann, um, I didn't mind Mason Appleton either. I would have took DeMello, though. Yeah, I would take DeMello. Appleton's, Appleton's right. not bad, yeah. Um, um, but the, the biggest thing was really the lack of side deals, and that's kind of where I'm underwhelmed. Um, from the sounds of it, NHL GMs were at least a little bit smarter this year and um, basically said, yeah, you know what? We don't really care to um, bend over backwards to, uh, you know, save a couple of our guys and, and have you take a guy who, you know, burns us anyways. But at the same time, it feels like Seattle was asking for way, way too much. And like the perfect example I have of this is like, that, and we're going to get into the um, trade in a second, obviously, but like, Goss Despair gets flipped for a second and a fifth to take the salary the next day. Are you telling me that like Seattle really decided it wasn't worth a second rounder and a fifth rounder to take an actual good defenseman in Shane Goss and took Carson Torensky, a left wing RFA instead for free. Like that is the kind of moves I just, I do not understand from this team. Exactly. Cause like the way Vegas was built, they're one of the only good teams in the league built primarily through trades. And the only reason they managed to do that is because they set them up so, themselves up so well with draft picks and Seattle just doesn't have that option. Yeah, exactly. Or like, at least they don't right now. I think there is probably still a chance that um, they go out and get some guy or um, they're going to be able to take advantage of bad contracts in, in uh free agency if they really want to, or later in the summer. But um, like, I, I just don't know why they didn't do that at all. Now it's like, I get keeping your options open a little bit, but at, at the same time, like when it's like player like Gostas bear or whatever, or just like, you're telling me they couldn't get anything from the Islanders to, you know, not take Everly or like at least play hardball where it's like, and I maybe lose not the guy you want to play hardball with or like the, the, the predators. It's like you protected two no-name guys. Are you sure you really want us to take Cali Yarncroke for $2 million? Like we could take someone else. If you throw in a pick, like, I just, I don't really understand some of those same with um, Carolina. Like you're telling me there's no way that you couldn't have convinced them. You're taking Niederreiter unless they gave you like a fourth or a fifth or whatever. Yeah, because they took so many just mediocre players, it seems like they really could have done something. Like, it's not even, like, I'm sure there were some cases where nothing was to be done, and that's why they didn't do it. It wasn't that they were stupid, but also there's no way that there was nothing to be done on all of them, if that makes sense. Yeah, there's no way there was nothing to be done on 30 different teams. Like, even if it was, like, five teams or four teams or whatever, instead of the 15 that it was last time, there's still four or five teams you missed out on, you know? Yeah. Like, or say two teams, say they have three second round picks next year. That's better than not having three second round picks next year. Especially because for one of those second round picks, you would have got a better player than you took anyways. Yeah, exactly. Or just like like, like, picks the next year's draft. Even even though it's just everything, but like, 
Well, that mean? was the biggest thing that helped Vegas out too, was that they didn't just stockpile picks in year one. They had picks three and four years in advance or like later that they can still use to trade when they're going for it. Yeah. Cause the flurry pick was three years out. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. They had a, they had one in this year's draft. I want to say too, that was still connected to the expansion draft. Yeah. I believe that. Yeah. Like it seems like either it seems like Seattle really overplayed their hand with the trades. Because mm-hmm. by all accounts, we're just asking prices that are way too high. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And so, I don't know, I'm a little underwhelmed. I think the team will be fine and they're in a horrible division. So, um, but I, I just, it, it was underwhelming that there, there was not a single trade. Um, but I'm interested to see what they do in the, in the off season because they're definitely not done here during free agency. I think they still have the ability to, um, you know, acquire some assets, but uh, I definitely don't think they're going to be as good as Vegas right away. And uh, I think it's, Hard to see that they are going to be able to trade for a lot of the players that Vegas did. And the, the one other thing I want to touch on too is I saw a bunch of people being like, when you questioned why they were taking random AHL forwards like Alex True from San Jose, people were like, well, they can't take all um, NHL forwards. Like, well, yes, they can because they can flip them for like low end assets if they really need, which is better than having HL, especially because they're splitting an AHL team this year with Florida because their Palm Springs team isn't even ready. So they're splitting an AHL team this year. They don't even need that many guys in the AHL. And at the end of the day, there's always tons of AHL forwards available that you can go sign in the 25 to 28 year old range, you know? Exactly. Like, worst case scenario, you go into the seed, like, if you take too many NHL players, you go into training camp with the problem of having too many good hockey players on your team. Like that's not a real problem. No, exactly. Like, yeah. Even if you had to waive like three of them, all chances are maybe one of them gets waived or claimed, I guess, but then you still just have the other two in the minors anyways. Like exactly. Cause everybody knows there's a day where a whole bunch of players go on waivers and everybody thinks, Oh, a bunch of them are going to get claimed. And then of course, like one or two of them actually do it. That's it. Yeah, exactly. So um, let's move on from this uh, expansion draft, though. I think that was mostly the notable stuff. Um, it sounded like still a bunch of people watch. I was out uh, for dinner that night, so I didn't get to watch the show. But it sounded like the show was pretty entertaining. So good for ESPN on their first event. Uh, it sounded like it was pretty good. Um, let's get into the flyer stuff, I think, next. Uh, first trade. So, so obviously they made that Ellis trade last week, and we were both kind of in favor of it for uh, this course kind of got to go for it now. And geez, did they ever shake up the core a little more, eh? Um, let's start with the first one. They trade uh, Gostas Bear to the Arizona Coyotes um, with a second and a fifth round pick um, as well. So, and the return was nothing. Second time in a week we've seen that, and I don't know if I've ever seen it before. Um, it was clear that they were getting rid of Cap. I think I thought they were going to lose this trade no matter what because I don't think Gostas Bear is that bad of a defenseman. Um, but I think if they, you know, if I looked at it kind of, well, you have Ryan Ellis now, maybe you want to move Gostas Bear out and maybe you can go add another legit asset. Um, I didn't look at it as that bad until the asset I saw them um, acquire. But I want to touch real quick on Arizona's side on this because we're going to talk about Arizona a couple times today. But I've really, really, really liked what they've done this offseason. I don't know about you, but like this is like the most optimistic I've been about Arizona in a long time, which is hilarious because they're going backwards, but I think that's exactly what they need to do. Yeah. This worked out perfectly for them. They just continue to stockpile picks and they're bad, but they're going to have a whole bunch of picks and a really good draft. And that's a great place to be. 
Yeah, and they had the, and we'll get obviously get into the other trade that they made, but they had the uh, ninth overall pick in this year's draft. And guess what? Next year they have five second rounders in what's supposed to be an unreal draft. So you can either take all five of those, trade it, trade away, trade down, trade back, or you know maybe even trade up if you there's like in a in a stacked first round, you know maybe someone who you had at ten drops to like twenty five, and you use a second rounder to get from thirty five to twenty five and take a you know what you thought was a legit top ten talent or something like that. So um they've given themselves a lot of options and I really like it. Yeah, me too. I was thinking about uh like the way football teams tend to operate where bad teams tend to accumulate picks and players and then they get their they find a quarterback that they like and they basically move heaven and earth to get them through the draft. I think Arizona could do something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, I, they're really setting them aside. And I don't think they're done selling either. Like Phil Kessel's an RFA this or UFA this year. I think they could retain on him and move him. Um, honestly, like, would it shock you if they got something for like a Jay Beagle as a UFA or maybe, maybe not Beagle, but like a Roussel or something like that? Um, you retain it, half. I'm sure some GM would fall over themselves to trade a fourth round pick for Jay Beagle at the trade deadline. Yep. Darcy Kemper should get them something as well. Like um, I think they still have a bunch of selling here to do. And honestly, like I think Gostas bear is in the perfect position to rebuild his value in the second pair left-hand D slot on this team. And they could even flip him next year, probably for legit assets. Yeah. So like, yeah, they're, they're in a great spot. So I really love what this deal was for them for Philly. Didn't love it, but I was like, Oh, let's see what they do with the cap space from here. And Oh my God, did they ever make it worse? Um, they go out and they acquire Rasmus Ristolainen from the Buffalo Sabres. The Ristolainen trade finally happens, Chase. And somehow they get like, they gave up legitimate assets for this guy. This is the most mind blowing thing I have seen all summer uh, in a long time. Like this is like, Duncan Keith level of bad, but almost worse. I think um, I just, I can't wrap my head around this. I think this is worse because they're probably going to extend them. Yeah. So, so um, I don't know if you've listened to the PDO cast yet, but he had, mm-hmm. uh, I believe it was Charlie O'Connor on and it was a great episode. They said the worst part about this is no matter what happens, it's a bad outcome because either Ristolainen sucks just as much as we all think he sucks and they have to cut bait and they just gave up a ton of assets for absolutely nothing or Ristolainen has this great start and they extend him to a long-term contract, which guess what is only going to make things worse. Yeah. Like this is going to get worse before it gets better. This was like the, the most infuriating thing is people post the charts and of course Ristolainen looks bad in every chart on earth. And people always push back, I guess, because he's tall and was drafted high. I don't even know. Because that's the only defensive wrist line at this point. Like, he doesn't look good either. No, he does just a lot of, like, what the quote-unquote big body kind of does. Like, where he just cross-checks a dude. But then he's cross-checking a dude. And while he's doing that, he's either taking a penalty or the puck goes through his legs and into the open net. um, Where the guy he's supposed to be taking is right behind him. But that's why people just get obsessed with him, like, playing a big way or whatever and just fall in love with that yeah 100 percent. because like when you watch seth jones like i think if you know what to look for if somebody points it out for you it's rather obvious you can see the deficiencies in seth jones but you can also see why people like him like with wrist aligning it's not like he looks electric out there he just does a handful of things that people want to see from a big guy i guess 
Yeah. And like, he just, I don't know. He doesn't handle the puck very well. And uh, yeah, like I just giving up Robert Hag for him probably would have been like a net minus play giving up a first rounder and a second rounder in 2023. I just, like, you can't defend that. Yeah. Like, exactly. Cause Ristolainen's like Hag's bad too, but Ristolainen's already overpaid and this might just get way worse. Yeah, and so, like, and, like, I don't know, like, the Buffalo effect definitely is a thing, but, like, I think he's part of the Buffalo effect, you know what I mean? Like, at some point, it's got to be the guys who have been there the entire time, too, and, like, he has made every good player he's played with worse. Exactly, and just, like, yeah, the Buffalo effect exists, but if we all agree that Jack Eichel's great and plays 20 minutes a night, and also Buffalo's a pathetic hockey team, the most likely reason is that almost everyone around Eichel sucks. One of them being Rasmus Kristalina. Yeah, exactly. So like, I think it was Dom Lushishin who had, he took um, this and then he took the assets that they trade. So he put Ristolainen in Hag and um, Gostas Bear out and then all the picks out as well. And Gostas Bear and Hag basically bounced out with Ristolainen's where it was like very slightly negative for Flip Philly um, and then all the picks cost them 10 goal save or 10 wins above average, I believe, going forward. Jesus. Yeah, like same number. Because it was like, just like, well, and when you think about it, it's a first, two seconds, a third, and a fifth. I want to say they moved out. Like, yeah, 10 wins is like missing out on two years of McDavid. Yeah, like it's just it, it's crazy. Like I'm, I'm trying to find the actual tweet right now, but it was just absolutely insane. It was just like, yeah, so you really shuffled a bunch of deck chairs and then just gave up a shitload of assets to do it. Like, yeah, it's trades like these where, like, every time something dumb happens, it is worth considering a side in which you don't think the GM is stupid. But it's trades like these where you do also have to be reminded that GMs are incredibly flawed and make humongous mistakes plenty of times. Yeah, exactly. Um, like I just, it's, I don't even know what to say, to be honest. Like it's just, it's one of the things where, uh, and like, like I, okay. So another really good point, I think from the PDO cast was that, and like, I highly recommend listening to this one, listening to that episode after this, because it was like really just eye opening about how well they deep dived it. But another point was like, how do you go from like clearly identifying like Ryan Ellis as someone that like is a good defenseman that you should want to target? I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. He's got um, um, worries of his own in terms of how old that contract goes, but like, how do you identify as Ryan Ellis as someone who's like, yeah, we can get him for cheap right now, but then turn around and also acquire Rasmus Ristolainen, you know? Yeah. Like how are those two thought processes existing in the same mind? Yeah. And it's just like, I just don't really get it. Um, uh, oh, here's the chart. Okay. So um, GSVA, Shane Gostas bear 0.9, Robert Hag 0.2. So 2021, 22 value, 0.7. Ristolainen is 21, 22 values, negative 0.1. So already out, you're minus 0.6. Future value, um, 5.5 for the 13th overall pick, 1.8 for the second, uh, 1.8 for the second, and 0.2. 9.3, so 9.9 total value lost. Like, that's like an absurd amount. Yeah, that's absolutely ridiculous. That's probably like what the Leafs' best three forwards will contribute next year. 
Yeah. Um, and before we get to the Buffalo side of things, because uh, they have another trade we've got to talk about as well, let's um, keep going with Philly here. They made one more trade. They flipped Voracek for Cam Atkinson. Um, I'm, I'm really curious to see what you think of this one, because I did not hate this one near as much. Um, Voracek still got, I want to say, three years at 8.25. Atkinson's got four at 5.5, I want to say. Um, and it was a one-for-one deal. So clearly they're saving some salary. I don't think that um, Atkinson is like, aggressively worse than Voracek at this point in his career. Um, Voracek's got a lot of shooting talent, which I think maybe gives him a little bit of a boost, but I don't think Voracek's 5v5 play drying numbers were anything what uh, you wanted them to be either. No, Voracek was clearly overpaid. This was like a creative trade would be how I would put it. This is the kind of trade that should probably happen more often, but doesn't. I don't really understand it from Columbus's standpoint, to be honest. I think there's more upside in Voracek. Like, I think I guess, he's a more like, marketable. Like, there's a better chance Voracek puts up 80 points than Atkinson, but also there's a way better chance Atkinson's worse his contract than Voracek, I think. But also just, like, like maybe if you could sell it to a team that he's going to do that again, how does Voracek putting up, like, 70 points next year help the Columbus Blue Jackets? Yeah, it really doesn't. Columbus is going to be bad next year. That's probably a good thing. I yeah, because like if, if this was, a, I guess, yeah, like if this was a trade where it's like both teams are still kind of trying to go for it, I would actually understand it more. But like, yeah, like Philly supposed if Philly would have got like a second or a third with this, I would have, or sorry, if if Columbus would have got a second or a third or like even a fourth with it, I maybe would have understood. But I just like it just seems like such an unnecessarily big cap hit for a thirty-one year old who doesn't seem like he's got too much more in the tank going forward like yeah in- like you put up you put up 43 points in 53 games so maybe you can get to the point where it's like you boost his value so much that he's got great base numbers and you can convince a team to take a year or two of that off I don't know but yeah I don't know I guess he's got to have faith in his passing numbers which are good but I don't I don't think he's that good he's clearly overpaid it's probably yeah, bad. Like, you just, get out for like a year sooner is the one nice thing. Say Columbus is trying to compete in four years. You won't have that contract on your books at least. Yeah, I guess so. But like, I don't know, like is Cam Atkinson at five? Like I felt like that would have been a sellable deal as well. And like with one year left, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I, this is one I, I thought was a good idea from Philly. Don't really understand it from Columbus, but it's not the end of the world from Columbus either. So um, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. Um, I want to get into Buffalo though. So obviously the wrist aligning deal, absolutely slam dunk of a win, right? Like Huge getting win. any asset for him is a win, let alone a first and a second round pick. Like that is, that is massive. And I don't even know, let me, uh, 2021 NHL entry draft. I don't even know who Buffalo took um, with that pick, but uh, just having the first round pick is, is huge value. And um um, clearly it shows that they are ready to rebuild again. And there's a, probably going to be an Eichel trade coming this year. Um, pet peeve. They did count that forfeited pick from Arizona as an actual pick. So Columbus so, picked the 11th prospect in the draft, but it was the 12th overall pick. Um, Buffalo took Isaac Rosen. I don't know. I would paid so little attention to so many of the prospects this year that, uh, um, I'm not going to even begin to talk about it, the draft really, but, um, they got a first round pick, which is. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Like, 
usually insiders like pretend to make the draft interesting. Like say McDavid's ready to be picked and like McDavid's been known as the first overall pick for like six years now. There's literally a clip of him talking, being talked about on Merrick versus Wyshynski when McDavid was like 11. And yeah. yet insiders usually try to be like, oh, is Eichel going first overall? Like usually people try to manufacture that narrative. This draft, it's as if nobody even pretended to give a shit about if it yeah. was interesting. Or not. About anything at all. It's like, oh, well, like Owen Powers might not go first overall because who knows? Like none of these guys are very good. <laughs> it's just like, oh, okay, well, that's what we're looking forward to, eh? But um, yeah, I don't know. Like um, getting the first and third or second was great. Uh, I don't think Hag really is that good. So I don't really care about that, um, but huge win. And then we get to the um, Sam Reinhardt deal. And uh, this was probably underwhelming, but I, I think it probably just goes to show where the thinking still is at in some NHL front offices, because I just think that Reinhardt probably has way less value than um, um Maybe not less value, but like the fact that Reinhardt and uh, Ristolainen have close to the same value tells you all you need to know about uh, um, enough of the the front offices, I think, still. Yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. Reinhardt's a legitimately good player. I have no idea what people see in Ristolainen anymore. No, I can't say I do either. Um, I'm trying to pull up. They got a first-round pick and... um, uh, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Devin Levi, the, the goalie prospect um, who played for team Canada this year in the uh, um, gold medal game uh, lost to other uh, Florida Panthers goalie, obviously Spencer Knight. So um, the, the crease with Bobrovsky's disgusting contract and Spencer Knight is clearly crowded there. Um, Devin Levi seems like a really good prospect from everything I've heard. And they get a first in 2022, which is absolutely massive because that draft is supposed to be so much better. So um uh, and it is, uh, I believe it's top 10 protected. Let's see, conditional pick. Uh, if the pick is in the top 10, the pick will be exchanged and 2023 will come. 2023 is supposed to be a good draft as well. So um, I thought that was not a bad piece of business for Buffalo at all. Um, just when you saw how much wrist aligning went, you kind of like start licking your chops about a Sam Reinhardt deal. And maybe that's why it feels underrated. But overall for having to reset and get rid of this old core, I think it was a pretty good weekend for the Sabres. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna look it's gonna look ugly next year, but they're finally doing the right thing. Yeah, I mean, like it, yeah, it's gonna look ugly and but that's just it's looked ugly every year. So, you know, what's the difference? At least lean into it and give your fans <laughs> yes. some hope of picks, right? Yeah, at least people can like talk themselves into being optimistic when you have two firsts in the year or whatever. Yeah. So um from Florida's side of thing, I really love this. I really love this deal from Florida. I think they are like they might be a sneaky team again. Like we said this two years ago and they kind of really fell flat on their face, but if they can get goaltending, they're going to be a sneaky team again, I think to really compete for a top three spot in the, in this Metro uh, Atlantic division. I don't know if they'll get there, but like they have a lot of good pieces. I really like, and they're clearly all in right now, which they probably should be. Yeah. hundred percent. It looks like they recognize how tough the division is going to be and they weren't complacent with the results this year, which is awesome. That's everything they needed to do. Yeah, absolutely. And it'll be interesting to see. So Sam Reinhardt's an RFA, so they're going to have to pay him. It'll be really interesting to see what that contract looks like. Sam Bennett needs paid as well. I think Wenberg's probably gone at this point, but um, now you can boast, you know, a top nine of Barkov. Huberto can play on his own line and Reinhardt's going to get 
a guy in Huberto, probably I would assume as a line mate. And that's other than Jack Eichel, that's gotta be his best line mate he's ever had, you know, and Reinhardt didn't play with Eichel a ton. I don't think so. Uh, then you can have Duclair, um, um, uh, and probably, I don't know, Sam Bennett will be in that top nine as well. Uh, Barkov will obviously be there. And then, you know, you have for the bottom six Hornquist, Achari, Vertrano, uh, Alexi Hepiniemi again. Like there's just Owen Tippett maybe as well. Like they just have a bunch of solid names where it doesn't look like there's a real like glaring weakness on that forward core. Yeah, it looks like they're relatively deep. And if, as long as Barkov stays a star, it should be dangerous as hell. Yep. And then on the back end, they got Ekblad, Strawman, Uyghur, uh, Nudavara, Forsling, Gudis, um, and Montour if they choose to resign him. I doubt they do, but that'll just, I think their team is really going to depend on A, can either Spencer Knight step up and do what Dreger did last year, or can Bobrovsky just not be the worst goalie in the league? Uh, and B, how much regression do you see from Mackenzie Weger, Marcus Nudavara, and Gustav Forsling? Like all three of those guys I thought really shot over their head last year. Um, and maybe that's the Quenville effect. And maybe that means that they can, uh, and I'll even throw Ekblad into that because Ekblad was having like a Norris level year um, and went down. So like how much regression, if at all, do you see from any of those? Cause if it's the same blue line we saw last year, again, I think this team is going to be freaking dangerous. Like at least in the regular season, I don't know if they'll have quite the depth to get all the way in the playoffs, but like they, they will be a fun team to watch regardless. Yeah, it's easy enough to imagine. Like, not that much has to go wrong for this team to make the playoffs over or at least be ahead in the standings over Toronto or Boston. Yeah, uh, totally agree. Like, um, and hell, even last year, they finished ahead of Tampa because Tampa had a bunch of injury problems, you know? Like, what's to say that yeah. doesn't happen again? Yeah, so. they're, they're a good team, I think. Yeah, I, 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 I would be shocked if it's like, like, I think there's now a very clear top four in the Atlantic. Yeah, 100%. It's kind of a funny division, which is like a distinct haves and distinct have-nots and then the haves. Yeah, like literally, and like going into this year, I think, it, or even into last year, maybe, it would have been like clearly the top three and then you have Florida and Montreal kind of in there and then obviously the bottom three teams. Now you have, I think, Florida's, Again, I think they're still probably the fourth best of those four teams, but it's close enough where I'm comfortable adding them into those four teams, I think. You know, like. Yeah, it was kind of funny. Um, people should talk to Habs the whole way through the playoffs for obvious reasons. There was this weird pushback from like part of stat Twitter that are like, no, Habs are a really good hockey team. But what are they, what's the Habs playoff odds next year? Does it start at like 35%? probably maybe yeah i yeah. mean well with weber gone all year too and price might be out for a while like they're gonna have jake allen and i who in like i i think they have a prospect actually who's not bad but like yeah like just with all the injuries i came primos who i was thinking of so maybe he comes up and plays some games they also have charlie lindgren and uh michael mcniven but um yeah, I don't know. Like with Weber out, like that's going to be a big loss. I know he didn't play a ton like um, regular season wise, but like he's a big part of that team. They're going to lose Philip to know it kind of sounds like as well. Like they very well might be in a position to kind of take a mini rebuild here and, and step back for two years. And I don't think it'd even yeah. be the worst thing in the world, you know? Yeah. Like with injuries, it's like what then like a quarter, like what, 25% chance this team makes playoffs. Yeah, I would say, I don't know. I think Carey Price even missing a month or two probably isn't as big of a loss as people think. 
The Weber That's one's fair. big, though. The Weber one's Weber. big. I just but. don't think they're that good to begin with. No, but they they definitely control play enough where it's like they're they're again their issue is they I find it very hard to believe they're going to be a bottom five team anytime soon. You know, I mean, yeah, I don't think they'll be a bottom five team, but like Boston, Toronto, Tampa, and no, uh, like they're they're in the Minnesota the classic Minnesota range of like what the hell does this team do? Because even this year, it's exactly what Minnesota did, just more aggressive in the playoffs where they just barely snuck into the playoffs. If this was any other year, there's no way they were making it in. And but they got in the playoffs, got hot at the right time, went on a run. But like from now on, it's like they're still going to be struggling to make the playoffs every year. But they're going to be like at worst the twenty third best team in the league. Like, yeah, hundred percent. Because like their whole shtick is they drive play. But Toronto and Florida were better play driving teams last year. Toronto and Florida are the most likely teams for them to catch unless Boston ages really aggressively. But Toronto and Florida are just Montreal with shooting talent when it comes to driving play. Yeah, exactly. So um, it'll be interesting to see. We still have a ton to talk about. Let's let's keep moving on. Uh, let's go to the OEL move because we've already touched on Arizona. I already said I love what they're doing this offseason. OEL goes right in there as well. Um, I cannot believe I, they retained uh, a little bit, about a million every year on him. Um, but I cannot believe that uh, they got out from under this contract and got a ton of actual assets. They also send Connor Garland to uh, um, Vancouver. They take back Louis Erickson, Jay Beagle and Antoine Roussel, who are all um, probably not going to play or very down, down the lineup, but they all have one year left and they take about, uh, I think it's just over 12 and a half million dollars in salary cap, but way less than that in actual salary. So like, Arizona did very Arizona stuff where they took high salary cap, low dollar figures, and they got assets for that still too. But they also get a first round pick, which was ninth overall, which I believe they took Dylan Gunther with, uh, who is like one of the better prospects in this draft. He's a guy I actually had heard of. Um, and a second in 2022 and a seventh in 2023 um, for obviously Eggman Larson and Connor Garland. Uh, for again, for Arizona, I, I really like this. Like, they did exactly what a rebuilding team should do. They took on some bad salary. They managed to get one of their bad contracts off. They got a Connor Garland, I think was their best forward, unfortunately, but you know, you could look at it as a first for Connor Garland and then a second and a seventh plus those bad contracts for uh, OEL. And again, I don't think either of those look like a loss really for Arizona. Yeah. The Garland one's not great, but. But he's the ninth overall pick too. Like, yeah, like that's that's as good as you could realistically expect for Connor Garland. Like, yeah, it's not like great it's the, to lose a player like that, but who like it fits their timeline way better. Exactly. Like Garland's already twenty five. I love Connor Garland as a player, and we'll get that for for Vancouver, obviously. But yeah, it's not like this was a deadline deal where it's like you're getting Tampa's first rounder or whatever, and it's going to be twenty sixth or worse. You know, like it's the ninth overall pick. Granted, in a weaker draft, but like that's still great value. Yeah, 100%. I, I can't believe they talked someone into taking OEL. Yeah, and of course it was Jim Benning, who uh, is very has made it very obvious that if they don't do anything this year, he's gone. Um, so he does not care about the future. And like at this, this is just getting dangerous. Like, I, I think yeah, this the, team oh, – go, go ahead, sorry. Well, like, what in, I guess not infuriate because I don't like the Canucks, so I find it kind of funny. It's infuriating when you imagine a world in which Jim Benning makes millions of dollars to make these decisions. Well, like, the best defense of OEL is, I guess, that Arizona was bad and he's secretly great. He just didn't get results because of the team. But, like, 
OEL didn't play top competition and he didn't even play like top pairing minutes. Like the Arizona Coyotes defense score was too good for OEL. That's yeah, that's that's the thing. Like Jim Benning was talking about how he's still a first pair defenseman and everything. It's like, no, no, he was not. He like if you played any attention to Arizona, which like I don't really blame the casual fan for not doing that, but a GM trading for a seven point two million dollar player now should absolutely be fucking paying attention to them. You should know that it was Chitron taking all the big minutes. Eggman Larson was playing second pair and didn't do great on that either. Like, and now, so it's like you have $13 million locked up in Ekman Larson and um, Tyler Myers for three to six more years. Like Myers, Myers is three OEL is six um, or seven, maybe actually, to be honest. Um, no six. Okay. Um, like, it's just, you need to sign Quinn Hughes and Elias Pedersen. And now they're talking about bridging them because they only have $21 million in cap space. And currently they have eight forwards signed and four defensemen. Um, like I just, this is a mess. Like this is just, I, I think like, I really like Connor Garland. I think that Connor Garland is going to make, assuming you can keep the four court, like they're going to trade Bor Horvat probably this year or something. Or sorry, not Horvat. They're going to trade like Brock Besser this year or something stupid like that. Um, cause they have to pay him next year now too. Right. Like assuming you can keep the forward core intact, this forward core could be really, really fun to watch with Connor Garland on it, because I think it'll allow like assuming a healthy Pedersen as well, Pedersen, Besser, Horvat, Miller, um, Niels Hoglander, uh, Garland. And then, you know, you can add Tanner Pearson there on your third line or whatever. Jason Dickinson will be there as well. Like it's a, the making of a pretty solid forward core, but like, Jeez, man, like this defense core, Ekman Larson, Tyler Myers, Nate Schmidt, um, Edler's gone, uh, Quinn Hughes, Oliu Levy, and I guess Jack Rathbone. Like you're going to basically have to hope that Quinn Hughes can pull Tyler Myers by himself and Nate Schmidt can pull OEL, I guess, by himself. Which, good luck. Yeah, like and that's not the bet I'd be wanting to make, but hey, um, sure, go for it. You know, like. Yeah, it's. It's always worth considering that whenever some, they do something idiotic, like I said, front offices aren't stupid, but the Vancouver Canucks are one team that it's very obvious are genuinely dumb. Yeah, or like definitely in like their cap management part of things. Like it's just a very short-sighted uh, um, approach yeah. from them. And uh-huh. it has been like that for like seven years. Yeah, and like maybe Jim Benning's smart doing this in a perverted way because it's trying to save his own job not trying to look out for what's best for the long-term future of the team but wow does that look awful yeah um okay seth jones speaking of deals that uh, might look awful will look awful do look awful Seth Jones gets traded from the Columbus Blue Jackets, which we all knew was happening to Chicago, which we, that was the main leader for them over the past couple of weeks. Um, Obviously they picked up his brother from Edmonton for in that Duncan Keith trade as well. Um, And then Seth Jones just gets the absolute bag. So he gets technically signed from Columbus because it's an eight year deal. And then Columbus flips them eight years at $9.5 million, and that kicks in next year. So it starts when he's 27 years old. So they have nine years of Seth Jones on the books. Um, this year, he's cheap. Next year, he is not. He's starting a $76 million deal. Oh, my God. Um, 
I, the, the, there, there's two parts to this, in my opinion, the trade and the contract. And we knew they were going to come together, but the trade, I honestly think it was less than what I was, I, yeah, maybe not. I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I go back. I think the trade maybe was less than I was expecting um, in terms of, you know, what it sounds like they were asking for. Um, but they get Adam Boquist goes back the other way, a first round pick and a second round pick in the 2021 draft. Um, the first rounder, I believe, Oh, what overall was it? It was 12th overall. And uh, with Seth Jones, Columbus sent 32nd overall from Tampa Bay and a sixth round pick. Um, So they basically moved back in the draft about 20 spots, sent Adam Boquist, who was one of their best prospects, and a second rounder for this year's draft as well for Seth Jones and a sixth round pick. Um, Honestly, like less than I was expecting, to be honest, after seeing these like just idiotic trades and what the market had been asking for lately of Seth Jones, like some of the reports out there were wild. Yeah, I saw like Samuel Gerard plus like first and prospects as one of them. I don't even know if that was real, but like there was a lot of just shit with Seth Jones, right? That was absolutely ridiculous. Although to be fair, two first round picks in Boquist is nuts in and of itself. Well, it's one as a first and a second in Boquist, but yeah. Right, yes. Yeah, they sent the one first rounder back. But yeah, like it, it is a lot. Like I, I think for Seth Jones, this is still way too much. But yeah, even- like we, we knew this was coming, right? Like it was just who was going to do it. And then the contract was even bigger. He's getting paid more than Kale McCarr. Yeah, and it's... This trade is especially idiotic because let's say we live in a world where every sort of statistical analysis is all wrong in the same direction. And the result is that Seth Jones is actually the fourth best defenseman in the entire world. What the fuck does that do for Chicago? (laughs) Yes, this is the worst part. Like, are they going for it now? Because now they have literally for the next two years... They're like, everyone makes fun of um, Toronto's cap page. I guess like it's not as much this year, but next year, like they're going to have $30 million plus $31.5 million tied up in Kane Taves at 33 and 34 years old and a 27 year old Seth Jones, who I don't even think is that good. But, you know, like, even if he's not as bad as analytics suggests, like he's not the top 10 defenseman. Everyone seems to want to say he is like, he's at best what, like, a number two, maybe? I'd say he'd be at best of two. Like, so Dom's player projection model must be good because it beats betting markets. So we're going to assume Dom's model is right more often than it's wrong. Had Seth Jones' market value at $2.3 million. Let's say Dom's model is hilariously incompetent, which is, um, it's probably going to be true about certain players, but unlikely to be true about any given player. And Seth Jones is three times better than what Dom's model suggests. Like that still makes him a number two worth $6 million. It's hilariously overpaid. Yeah. Like it's just, oh my God. Like I, I just, this is, uh, this is going to be one of those deals you look back in like four years. It's like, no, this is, and they're going to be like, how could we ever see this going backwards? It's like everyone at the time told you this was a brutal mistake. Like, yeah, this is one of those deals that you could hire any stats person on earth. You could pay them a million dollars and the, the, the Michael Blake. Yeah. 
yeah, they just say, don't do that. And God, would they be worth the money? Like this is like a $70 million investment. $76 million plus the 5.4. Yeah. It's, it's an $80 million investment. Which is ridiculous. Yeah, plus they just, have implied value and the picks have implied values. Probably like a $100 million investment by the time you're done. Well, yeah, like what is what is the ultimate outcome for this team over the next four years? Like, yeah, because again, let's say Jones is the fourth best defenseman on planet Earth, which he's probably closer to a number four defenseman than the fourth best defenseman on planet Earth. But just run with it. Like, does that move them from the fourth worst team in the league to the eighth? Well, yeah, I mean, just like. Like they, yeah, like I, I don't think just, I, I think they have enough talent where they're probably not going to be a bottom three team. Like I think San Jose, Anaheim for sure, maybe Calgary if they tear it down and who knows what LA does this year will be worse. But like, and I think like New Jersey and uh, Buffalo, Detroit, and maybe even Ottawa, but like just look in their own division. So like Arizona, they're probably going to be, Arizona moves to the central this year. They're probably going to be worse. Fine. Colorado, there's no freaking way should the addition of Seth Jones like even puts you in the stratosphere of Colorado. It maybe yep. puts you close er to Dallas, but like Dallas is a bubble playoff team at best. I think they're worse than Minnesota. Nashville, maybe you're better than because Nashville looks like they're about to go full tank mode. But like even I don't think it's a guarantee that Nashville's worse than Chicago next year. In fact, like I would say there's probably good odds that Nashville's just as good, if not better. I would think right now I would rather bet on Nashville to make like given equal odds. I'd rather bet on Nashville to make the playoffs then. And I would probably say the same thing about St. Louis and probably Winnipeg too. Like, and I don't even, I don't love either of those teams, but like I would say Chicago's like at worst, the second worst division in their team. And at best the fifth place team, like, yeah, uh, Pinnacle has Nashville is significantly more likely to win the cup than Chicago. So there we go. Yeah, which like shouldn't shock you because they have a much better goaltender. And Dallas too, like even more likely. Like Chicago's one of the worst teams in the league. They're not absolutely atrocious, but they're very bad. Yeah, like it's uh, yeah. So I, I really don't understand this deal at all. Like I, I just I don't get it, but. You know, we kind of knew we weren't going to get it either, right? So, yeah, you knew even if this trade was a relative underpayment, like stats Twitter was going to look at it and be like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Um, okay, let's move on to one that I think is just unanimously considered a good deal and we almost don't have to talk about it. Kale McCarr. Six years, nine million, a very nice contract. Um, right around where I thought, honestly, I think this was under what some people might even thought he was going to sign. It eats up a year or two of his UFA. And um, as long as he continues to even be close to what he's shown so far, he'll be worth this contract. Yeah. It's hard to overpay a defenseman like Kevin McCarr. Good for Colorado. Basically is there's one of those is just so controversial. Like everybody looked at that and was just like, wow, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, that's like right about where we think, you know, like, um, I don't know. Like, I, he he gets he gets the bag, and he's gonna get paid again when he's twenty eight years old. You know, so like, it's not like he was getting absolutely bummed out on this deal. But like, if the cap keeps moving, let's say the cap starts rising in three years, by the end of this contract, it'll absolutely look like Victor Hedman's does right now. Yeah, hundred percent. And like, Kale McCarr's probably the odds-on favorite to win the Norris next year. 
just awesome player. Yeah, so hard to I, really take anything else away from this. Exactly. It's it's basically like when we do our top ten centers list, and every year we just have Connor McDavid one. It's like, yeah, what what do you want us to say? Like, yeah. So. Um, yeah, that, that's a good, quick one, which is good because we still, I'm going to leave out the Hyman stuff. We can talk about that later. Cause I, I mean, I know we're going to have a full on debate about it sometime this summer, uh, but we got four more pieces of it. Five, actually, there's some breaking news here. A quick one that we also don't really need to talk about. Mark Stahl just re-signed with Detroit though. One year, $2 million, um, full no movement clause. <laughs> I don't know who is competing against you to, um, you have to give a full no move clause and $2 million to Mark Stahl, but this deal does means nothing for Detroit. He seemed to fit there as like a, a mentor or whatever. So good enough for him, I guess. Yeah. I guess if he'd got some tremendous on ice value, sure. <laughs> yeah. Like, so I, again, I don't really need to talk about that because Detroit's going to suck this year. And uh, I guess the nice thing for Mark Stahl is this probably lets him pick where he goes at the deadline. If he gets flipped, like if, if they if a team wants him for one million dollars or whatever, he can probably choose five or six destinations. And if they can't trade him there, then they'll probably just keep him on the team as a sixth defenseman or whatever. Yeah, which is fair enough. I'm I would think Steve Eisenman could come up with something better with two million dollars in cap space, but also it is only two million, so it's tough to be super outraged. Yeah, and I like I, I do think there is probably something to be like when the team is going to be this bad or as bad as we think they are, like it's good to have the veteran guy in the room that can be like, Oh yeah, this sucks, but Hey, it'll get better or whatever. And again, I don't think you should pay an aggressive amount. Maybe you could argue they already have Nick Letty and Danny DeKaiser in there for that. And I think that would be fair enough. But um, you know, if he's not brought blocking a prospect, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Like if, if they, and I don't really, I don't really know. Like I know Mortis Sider is in the, the minor league system and they have, um, um, Philip Ronick obviously up right now. So like if he's blocking a legitimate prospect, that's a much bigger concern, but if they just don't have anyone better to play, whatever, at this point, he probably helps you lose, which is a good thing. Yep. Yeah. He gets some step closer to Shane, right? That's good. Yeah. Um, let's go to a move that, um, I don't really understand does not put them close to Shane, right? I understand it from Detroit's not from Carolina's perspective, the Alex Nadelkovic trade. I okay so before we go into this on why this is stupid I should say I think the over the general overreaction on Twitter was aggressive on this one as well Nelkovich has played one year in which yes he looked very very solid and don't get me wrong but this dude has played 29 total NHL games and the bulk of them were 23 this year in which he had a 932 any other year when a goalie plays 23 games like Andrew Hammond played 23 games and had a 932 save percentage and everyone went this isn't going to repeat itself. Granted, Hammond was an AHL goalie out of nowhere. Nadelkovich has had prior history of like, this is the goaltender of the future. But the insane, just like, this guy is going to be a top five goalie going forward. How did you trade him for Jonathan Bernier? Those takes were absolutely wild to me. I don't think there's any promise that Nadelkovich is even a top 15 goalie next year. He absolutely might be, but he like, there's no promise. That being said, I still do not understand what Carolina was doing in this deal. Yeah, it was weird to trade the RFA when you have no goalie sign. Especially because Bernier is not under contract. Yeah, I don't know why you want Jonathan Bernier's rights. Like, Bernier's an all right goalie. I'm sure he'll sign a contract that will not hate when free agency opens up as, like, a, a cheap, good backup. But also, like, why? 
Well, especially because Nedeljkovic signed a three million two year deal, and like the rumor was, he was asking for maybe three point five from Carolina, and the max they offered him is one point five. And that concerns me about this team. If the maximum they're offering their young goalie who just put up a 932 is $1.5 million. Like, even if it's a one-year deal, just give the dude $3 million, you know? Yeah, like, it's worth it to give him the show-me contract. He yeah. at least for that, the right to a show-me contract. Yeah, which is exactly what he got. And it's not, it didn't sound like he was asking for anything over that. So, like, I, I just – I don't understand this at all from uh, uh, Carolina's perspective. Like, this window will be slam shut if that's the – if it's a money problem and not just a evaluation thing. Yeah. I hope it's an evaluation thing. Cause it'd be sad if this was a money problem for them. Yeah. And like, I know even evaluation, I have concerns, but like Carolina is one of the few teams that it's like, I will at least default until I see what happens because they are very clearly analytically inclined, uh, inclined as well. Right. So maybe, maybe they have data that it was more their system that put up this, and that helped him more than anything else. But like, I just still don't think that's the return I'd be looking for. Even if, you know, you think he's a little overrated, like Jonathan Bernier, I know, like, come on. Yeah. Bernier put up um, a third of the uh, goal saved above average and had two goals saved above expected compared to Nadalkovich's 13 in one more game this year. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like Nadalkovich, I agree with everything he said where it's like, there's no guarantee. But also at some point with goalies, because it's so uncertain, you just kind of got to make smart bets. And yeah. And like, and Nadelkovich seems like the exact kind of guy you've got to make a bet on. And yeah. Well, like, out, he doesn't work out, but as much as it. I said about like, nothing's guaranteed. Like I would still rather take the bet on the 24 year old than the 32 year old. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it's not guaranteed. Maybe two years from now, Nadelkovich looks like Matt Murray where he's just washed or whatever, but. Also, maybe two years from now, he's like the sixth best starter in the league. Yeah, and I just, I'm, I don't know. Like, I, I just don't really understand it, to be honest. Yeah, I don't get it either. But, I don't know. We will. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it, it's weird seeing Carolina be on this side of the trade, eh? Yeah, usually Carolina's the team. Carolina's rarely the mark. Yeah. Yeah. Like they are usually the team that is absolutely taking advantage and we're going, Oh my God, what is happening here or whatever. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. So um, that's all I have on that one. Uh, We got three more things. So let's go with Taylor hall. I feel like this is not going to be a big one to talk about either just because um, how known this contract felt like it was going to be. But he officially resigns in Boston where he seemed to love it. A four-year deal, $6 million, great value in my opinion for Boston. Hall still gets 24 more million dollars. It's like, you know, he's not making a shortage of money, but great fit for Boston here um, and clearly a good fit for Taylor Hall. So, um, you know, it'll be fun to watch this going forward too. Yeah, as long as Taylor Hall isn't actually the worst shooter in the entire NHL, this is an absolutely freaking amazing contract. And I'm pretty sure Taylor Hall isn't actually the worst shooter in the entire NHL. So it's a bold take, but um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I would uh, tend to agree. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah, like I, I just I, I don't even have much to say because we knew this contract was coming for months, and there was just nothing anyone could do about it. Like, yeah, you knew it was going to be a gross underpayment. 
uh, relative to what he's likely to provide. But if he likes it in Boston, Boston is going to be a good team, so good for him. Yeah, well, and like literally since the playoffs rolled around, they were like, oh, yeah, Taylor Hall loves it here. And like there's a big talk that he is going to probably sacrifice some money to stay here on a short-term deal or, or like a midterm deal. It's like, well, that seems to be the Boston way, so. Yeah, yeah, and he's probably made – I think he's made over $50 million in his career at this point. So I can check that right now. Won anything. So he has $52 million in estimated career earnings. And I believe that does not count any like add anything. That's just his salary, right? Like, yeah. So, yeah. So prior towards winning, he's done none of it in his career so far. I get it. Good for him. There are a couple teams in the league where you might be expected to win more, but not many than Boston right now. So it works yep. so well. Exactly. And he doesn't have to be the guy there either, you know, like which he didn't seem to want to be, um, which again, fair yeah. enough. Like, but And he shouldn't be at this point in his career either. So it's, no. it's perfect. Yep. And so he gets to play behind Pasternak, Marshan, Bergeron, and even Charlie McAvoy, I think, will probably take more heat there than he will. Yep. A Raz. Yeah. Exactly. So um, let's get into two more deals. One more is a trade. Uh, Pavel Buchnevich gets traded to St. Louis Blues, um, which looks like it'll be probably the Tarasenko replacement. Uh, He is an RFA. He's going to have to sign a contract. Super interested to see what he um, signs for. Uh, The return, I believe, was Sammy Blaze in a first-round pick, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was a second. Which is incredible. So um, I think – I'm assuming you were probably pretty high on Buchnevich as you know, most stats people are. Yeah. I love this trade for, yeah. For saying, I don't really understand what New York's doing. Like it was a second. Yeah. 2022 second round pick. Let, let's hear, I guess. Go ahead. So go this ahead. is partly Goudreau contract was so freaking off because New York yes. said we're in a cap crunch, but like you put yourself in the goddamn cap crunch. Like you don't get to play the victim here. Yes. And so we'll get into New York in a second because that's the last piece of news that we have as well. So we'll look at St. Louis quick here first. You know, it sounds like Tarasenko is going to be on the way out at some point, you know, over the next year or so. Um, This is absolutely a replacement for him. This is what I think they thought they were going to be getting in Mike Hoffman, but didn't actually get. And he is 26 years old. And um, I could see like a six by six being signed here. I think Evolving Hockey had him between six and seven million dollars, depending on how long of term you went. Um, but I really love this deal for um, um, the St. Louis Blues. Exactly. It's just huge upside for them. Like, Gujnevic is probably, at worst, a first-line winger, and that's awesome. Oh, I say he's easily a first-line winger. Yeah. Yeah, like, worst-case scenario, he's only worth $6 million. Best case, you have, like, a $7.5 million player or $8 million player. Yeah, like, I'd say at worst he's, like, a top – 25 winger at this point top 30 like yeah yeah like he's just clearly very good he was someone i really wanted the Leafs to be in on because they need left wing help yeah yeah it would have been maybe hard to for them to fit under the cap sheet or whatever but um yeah no that's absolutely great great move i think for uh st louis here yeah like bujemic has all of the markings as someone who's going to get grossly underrated and therefore underpaid which is the perfect kind of player to acquire which is funny because they flipped him for a guy who has all the markings of someone who's going to get overrated and overpaid in Sammy Blaze. Yeah, exactly. Like they just did everything right here. Yeah. And so again, yeah, let's go to the Rangers side of things. This is where the Truba contract comes in. Um, 
the Barclay Goudreau contract, even the Chris Kreider contract I'll throw in there. Um, like this is where that stuff comes in where it's like, oh yeah, this is actually hurting your team because now you have to flip your actual good winger for a very not good right winger. Like who, like, I, don't, I really don't think Samuel Blaze is, uh, I, he might not be an NHL player. Yeah. There's a chance he's just replacement level. Yeah. Like um, a good one too. Well, and I saw like some New York beat writer being like, oh, this is what happens. You need to trade some of your top six skill out for bottom six grit. That's how the good teams win. It's like, you don't have the top six skill to be doing this though. Like none of your players have panned out to the point where you have more than three top six players right now. Like, and you hope Lafreniere and Kako can get there. Yeah. Also, nothing brings me more joy than the fact that the whole world watched the Tampa Bay Lightning win two Stanley Cups and some people's takeaways was that the bad players on Tampa were actually the reason they won. Meanwhile, Kucherov scored like 30 points in each playoffs and points scored like 15 goals both times. Yeah, or like, and everyone talked about how like Barclay Goudreau is great on Tampa because he makes 1.5 million and plays on their fourth line and they go out and go, let's give him a six-year deal at $3.6 million and he's going to be our second-line winger or whatever. It's like, this is not how that fucking works. Like, you are taking the very wrong lessons. And someone's going to, and again, I love Blake Coleman, but someone is going to do the exact same thing where everyone said the reason Tampa is so good is because they have Blake Coleman, who's a legitimate, like, second-line forward playing on their third line for no money. And someone's going to give him a lot of money and expect him to be a first or second-line forward and being like, why did this not work out like it did in Tampa? It's like what part were you not listening to, you know? Yeah. And the best, you don't even need to be a hockey fan or know Barclay Goudreau's name to know that this was stupid. Like signing depth players on championship teams to more than double what they were previously making never works out. Like signing the cast off from new England didn't work out in football either. Like this isn't a novel concept that these are ridiculous. always in badly. Yeah, and, like, it sucks because, like, Barkley Goudreau's not a bad player. Like, he's a useful bottom six guy who helps control play when he's on the ice but doesn't really score all that much. But, like, that's just not what you be paying. You should be paying $3.6 million to. And if you are, it's not for six years, that's for sure. Yeah, the opportunity cost of Bucinovich, too. Apparently, yeah. Goudreau 25% last year. So, given that fact, guess how many goals he scored? He still only had, like, three, didn't he? He scored six goals, and he shot 25%. Yeah, like that shouldn't be possible for a player who has more than a one-year term or two-year term on his contract. Well, and just how critical he was in the playoffs. The dude put up 12 points in 34, 43 playoff games. I get points aren't everything or whatever, but it's like this is just not what you this is what you allocate your money to when all of your players are still on ELCs and you don't have to worry about losing a player like Buchnevich because you have this contract. Like this is the type of guy, if you're gonna pay him 3.6, it's for one or two years. And that's just because you're in a go for it now mode with like Lafreniere playing unreal on an ELC or whatever, but like exactly. you don't even have that. Yeah. Like a hundred percent or Tampa is perfect situation. Like this is the kind of player that's a luxury when they're cheap, but a burden when they're expensive and New York, which is, they were the mark here. They signed them for the expensive years. Yep, exactly. So, um, Again, I think I'm going to be lower on New York just going forward than most people. Like, I think next year they're at least at the point where the Metro is getting weaker and weaker, where they're going to be at least competing for a playoff spot. But, like, man, I they need legitimate steps from Lafreniere and maybe even, like, Ke'Andre Miller, I think, and probably Kako as well to be, like, anywhere close to a legitimate Stanley Cup contender in three years. 
yeah, they look like they put the pedal to the metal a year too early, and it's going to just put them in no man's land. Yeah, so uh, we'll so see how that like, goes. Go ahead. I don't know. I've, I've been following with a bunch of Rangers fans with like the, the Eichel trade because they're the big, big team rumored on them. Like, Kako was good this year, but like, there's not even remotely close to a guarantee he's a stop. No, like, he was good defensively this year too, which is the most like volatile thing. Yes, yeah, the noisiest stat in the league. And like, Lafreniere taking a step takes a lot of pressure off a lot of people in New York, but that leaves them with two good left wingers. And that's what you're going to build it. And Adam Fox was fantastic as well. Well, like two good left wingers and an elite defenseman. That's what you're rebuilding. Got for you. Yeah. Like this team, like this team needs Jack Eichel for free, basically. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> like, or for like all their picks, and then it just they better find some other people somehow, you know? Like, yeah, like Eichel without losing difference makers. Like, if they lose a Lafreniere or a Kako in the Eichel trade, that still leaves it pretty barren. Yeah. And I, like, I'm assuming it'd be like Kako a first, and like probably like K. Andre Miller, who like I don't like Miller hasn't posted great results so far, but he's 21 years old, you know? Like, yeah, or Lundquist, someone like that. Yeah, like just another prospect that they have, exactly. Like, um, you know, um, I think they have Braden Schneider as well, who played on – I know he played on Team Canada. I have no idea if he's an actual – like he was first round 19th overall last year. So, but like someone like that, you know, and like, again, maybe one of those – like the defensive side of things might be replaceable, but then you need someone to come play, replace Kako and you don't have your first next year. So, I, I don't know. Like, it, it, it's just tough, right? Like – because yeah, they have just, good, they have some fine pieces. Like there's worse pieces to build around than Fox, Caco, Lafreniere, um, and then even throw the prospects they have in the minor league system. Plus their goaltender in Goryev and Shesterkin. But like, man, I don't know. Like just they have so much dead weight going forward too. Like and even like that Panarin contract won't be good in four years or whatever. And the Kreider one won't be good. Who knows what they're going to do with 28 soon to be 29 year old Zamana Jed. Yeah, it seems like they've done a lot of things that range between right and fine. But they just lack a long-term vision, and it has accumulated in all these moves just making no sense. Well, it's it's hilarious that they – so they did – they sent out that letter saying, hey, we're actually going to rebuild. You know, like we know in New York we've had a bad habit of not sticking to a rebuild because we don't we want to just go spend money and we want to be the best team or whatever – and they did that for about a year and then totally abandoned that plan, re-signed Chris Kreider, went and gave Artemi Panarin a massive contract and went and got Jacob Truba and splashed money on him. And everyone was like, wow, look at how great of a job they did at rebuilding. It's like, no, they did the exact fucking opposite of that and do what they said they, they weren't going to do and what they've done every time and went and chased the big name free agent a year after rebuilding. One year after, yeah. Like – and like I, again, like you can argue that yes, when a, a player of Panarin's caliber comes available, you go get him. But like, I don't know. Like it's just you, you don't get ever. Like the media was so horny to give this team credit for like, oh, we're opening up or we're saying we're tanking or whatever. It's like you sold off your captain for one year, bought out um, Shattenkirk, who went and won a cup, and that looks stupid now. And then you went and splashed a bunch of money around the next offseason. Like you did not rebuild. You rebuilt for about eight months. 
Yeah, and also, like, didn't they win the lottery to get Kako and moved up, like, a lot of spots? Like, eight spots? Yeah. Yeah, like, they put themselves in the best position. Well, even the Lafreniere lottery, I think they were, they weren't that, uh, they were, like, they they finished, like, seventh last, I thought. Yeah, because there's always got to be some degree of luck, but when you're coming, like, seventh or eighth last, like, that's pure luck. That's not your own making to get the first and second overall picks. Was Lat Raffle? I can't even remember. Was he 29? No, he's 2020 draft, right? Yes. Yeah. So, like, I'm, I'm looking up right now. The Rangers finished with more points than the Devils, the Red Wings, because Red Wings had 39, the Senators, the Sabres, the Canadians. Like, the Rangers finished with more points than the Canadians who made the playoffs that year because of the bubble. They finished with more points than the Panthers. Five, six, seven. So, the um, and. Pan- if the Habs made the playoffs, they were probably like 20th in the league at worst. Yeah, like one, two, three. So, okay, so the Rangers finished by points anyways. I think they finished 12th last. <laughs> now, yeah. some of that, some of that's changed because um, some teams won that play-in game. Like, for example, the Blackhawks finished with 72 points and the Canadians didn't have that many either, and they both won their play-in game. So the Rangers moved down a couple spots. But, like, I think they had ninth or 10th best lottery lot. So two years in a row, they jumped, like, eight spots to get to second and first. So they had massive luck rebuilding anyways, which, granted, you need, but they weren't even trying to rebuild. They just fell ass backwards into two lotteries and have still not been able to make that work. Yeah, they were gifted these picks, and they still might dig it up. Yeah, so Excellent. I don't know. They just they don't deserve credit, that's for sure. Um, anyways, that's a long episode. That's got to be our longest we've done in a long time. That's I, I'm betting it's probably going to be about an hour and 40 minutes. Um, I think we're good there. Uh, we'll, we'll scrap the Hyman stuff. We'll talk about this later. We're going to have a guest on later this offseason, I think, too, um, to discuss a lot of Toronto stuff. And so we will definitely get into this, go back and forth on the Zach Hyman stuff and see how it plays out as well. But um uh, Thank you everyone so much for listening. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, you know, like share everything like that helps or, you know, even just, the, even just the listen, it means so much to us. Uh, it's been awesome seeing the the podcast grow again lately. You know, we felt uh, over the pandemic there, it kind of stagnated and even dropped off a little bit, but um, that's our fault and more than anyone's because we didn't record weekly, but you know, now that we're back to weekly or semi-weekly as we will be over the summer, um, you know, the numbers have been up and, it means a lot for seeing all the support. I think I speak for both Chase and I when I say that. So, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and Stuff. My work at LastWordOnHockey.com, MyOhioHockey.com. You can find Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66, uh, the podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Hope you all enjoyed, and we'll talk to you all next week.